Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, where we share lessons and stories of women professionals to help empower other women and expand a greater circle of influence. So we walk our journey with those who understand and appreciate us. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Lango Legal. Discover Lango, your all-in-one language toolkit for the legal world and beyond. We specialize in legal interpretation, translation, and transcription services in over 200 languages. Think of us as the Swiss army knife of legal language solutions, streamlining your communication and helping you conquer linguistic barriers with ease. Elevate your practice with Lango. Visit lango.co to learn more. Today, Sheena Yap-Chan is going to chat with Lisa Wynn. Lisa is a partner at Allen and Overy LLP. Lisa represents cutting-edge technology companies in intellectual property matters, including in litigation against non-practicing entities. Lisa is adept at resolving disputes efficiently and identifying pragmatic solutions for her clients. Her practical and deliberate approach to preparing cases for trial regularly disposes of claims early in the process. Lisa has a proven track record of obtaining successful trial verdicts, summary judgment rulings, and dismissals at the pleading stage. She has also obtained multiple walkaways for defendants, obtaining dismissals with no payment to plaintiffs, as well as attorney's fees. Lisa represents both plaintiffs and defendants in complex multi-jurisdictional, multi-patent cases, and has substantial experience handling cases pending before district courts across the country. The International Trade Commission, ITC, and the Patent Trial and Appeal Board, PTAB. Lisa regularly speaks and writes on patent counseling and IP issues. Her speaking engagements include presentations at the Advanced Patent Law Institute, Berkeley Center for Law and Technology, the National Conference of Vietnamese American Attorneys, and the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association. Lisa has been listed among Silicon Valley Business Journal's Women of Influence, the top 50 women in the PTAB, an Asian leader worth watching, and a rising star in IP litigation. Lisa was the chair of the Diversity Committee of the PTAB Bar Association and now serves as a board member at the PTAB Bar Association. Welcome to the virtual water cooler chat. Lisa, how are you today? I'm so excited to have you here. I'm great. I'm so glad to be here uh, with you, Sheena. Awesome. So I'm just curious, how do you know Ashley? Oh, gosh, I was a baby associate when I met Ashley uh, back in the day when I was working on a case, a massive case where I think we had three firms working as co-counsel. And as a baby associate, I think a lot of people can probably relate. I needed a lot of guidance and I always looked at folks like Ashley uh, for that guidance. And she was absolutely wonderful. So I always appreciated her, her kindness and her words of wisdom when I was a baby and, and now, frankly. I love that. And Ashley is an amazing human being, you know, starting her own firm, Virtual Patent Gateway and creating this podcast and just She's probably one of my biggest supporters, and I'm really grateful that I got to know her as well and what she has created and um, being able to bring such amazing women like yourself. And I'm just curious, you know, what made you decide to become a patent lawyer? So I think a lot of folks who are in patent law, particularly with uh, technical degrees, they actually were engineers or scientists first and then kind of veered into the law. I was actually the opposite. I 
probably knew that I wanted to be a lawyer back when I was a freshman in high school. So when I went to college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in. And so initially, you know, I, I majored in legal studies and I actually do have a degree in legal studies, but the risk adverse part of me uh, felt like I needed something else in case that didn't work out. And so I initially uh, decided I would do uh, business administration. And as a prerequisite, computer science was uh, a course I had to take. And I took it, loved it, and decided to major in computer science. And I think that probably spoke to me in part because I was raised in Silicon Valley. I had always loved technology. And so I ultimately uh, became a patent attorney because I wanted to be a litigator and I love technology and it was the best combination of both. I love that. And I was just curious, you know, when you decided to become an attorney or go into patent law, you know, was your family supportive of that or was it something they're like, are you sure you want to be in that? Because sometimes, you know, we go on a certain route and our family, I know they love us from the bottom of their hearts. They always want the best for us, but sometimes they might be like, are you sure that's the path for you? Why don't you do this instead? I was just curious if, you know, the things that you've chosen, you know, your family, if your family was supportive of that. Yeah. So I am um, a, a child of uh, Vietnamese refugees. And so I don't think folks really thought about law as an option, particularly since I think a lot of people, particularly in the Asian American community, do have this aversion to to lawyers. And is that you know thought process that lawyers are always trying to you know, be tricky and may not be very ethical. But um, I think secondarily, my family always thought that I wasn't the strongest public speaker or that language wasn't the strongest skill uh, that I had. And so I think they did think it was a little bit of an odd choice to choose law. But I decided to become particularly a litigator when I was a freshman in high school because of that, actually, because I wasn't confident in my language skills, because I was scared of public speaking. There was just this feeling of empowerment when I did advocate for myself. And when I was a freshman, I actually ended up doing a exercise, a courtroom exercise in my English uh, class. And it was just obviously transforming for me because I had never felt that way before uh, to be able to use language and use my voice and use my advocacy to empower myself. And so that's really why I decided to become a litigator, because it was a challenge and because I just felt very empowered by it. I love that. And I'm glad you were able to go out there and pave your own way, right? Especially when it comes to confidence, it's not always easy, right? To speak up, to speak in public, to pave your own way, because especially in Asian culture, you've been taught one way of living, right? And anything we go outside of that is like considered shameful or we're crazy, but sometimes we got to do something that makes us wake up in the morning, right? That we get excited about, kind of like you, you love technology, you love patent law, So it's something that you totally want to do. And since then, I know you've spoken at a lot of different events. So if it wasn't for this path, I mean, 
you wouldn't have built up your confidence to be who you are today. And especially as an Asian woman, uh, like an Asian female lawyer, I'm sure it's not a walk in the park, right? Uh, I know when it comes to the legal profession, I think Asian Americans, I think represent maybe three to 4%. And I know there's a huge ratio between men and women. So for Asian female lawyers, it's probably, we'd be lucky if we see 1%, right? So I was just curious, was there any obstacles that you had to face, especially being a female Asian lawyer? There were definitely obstacles. I think that you you see it in the numbers, right? There's a huge chop off, particularly with respect to Asian American women in the legal profession. So you're not seeing Asian American women in leadership positions, uh, particularly in partnerships at law firms. And there were obstacles. I think that the stereotype for a first chair litigator is still the same, an aggressive, um, dominating white male attorney. And I just don't fit that mold. And it really took me a long time to be able to feel comfortable that I didn't have to be that, that I could still be a good attorney while being myself. I think for a long time there, I did feel like I need to be aggressive, that I need to be confrontational, that people wouldn't support me to be a partner unless I was those things. But when I was those things, it just felt very unnatural. And I think people could tell that that wasn't who I was, that I wasn't being genuine. And frankly, it made me a a poor advocate, right? When I couldn't even really be myself. And so after a while, I realized I needed to find my own style and figure out that I didn't need to be the loudest person in the room, that I didn't need to be the most aggressive person in the room. I just needed to be the most reasonable. I needed to be myself. And that meant that I was right. And so I knew the facts, I knew the law, and I could advocate for my clients that way. And so I think that... It was a challenge in part because you still have to deal with stereotypes, right? Particularly as a litigator, it's easy to say, just be yourself, right? But at the end of the day, everyone has biases, including judges and including juries. So the real question is, how do I advocate for my position while being self-aware of those biases? And I think that really is the tricky part of being an Asian American woman in this profession. Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, when you tried to be like a white Caucasian, I mean, a Caucasian male trying to be in the, you know, trying to get partner in a law firm, it just didn't work out for you because, you know, deep inside, that's not who you are. Right. And sometimes we have to go with our gut feeling, right. When people are like, well, how do you know, how do you know? Like, there's always signs out there. Your gut feeling's gonna, your instincts is gonna tell you. And you know, as Asian women, we're we tend to not listen to our instincts, right? And so when we don't, you know, things fall apart. But when we do, uh, you know, th- things start to work out. And so, kind of like you, you said, this wasn't for me. I'm gonna show up more as myself, uh, and so that I can do the best work, not just for myself, but for my clients that I serve as well. And because of that, I mean, you've you've done so many things. You've won uh, different awards. I mean, you won top 50 women lawyers in the PTAB, which is huge. You know, what was that like winning then? How did it feel for you? 
It was actually, I was actually a, a bit saddened by it just because um, I felt like there should be more women in the PTAB. PTAB actually isn't that old, right? PTAB proceedings are really just a decade old. And I think the initial thought was that, okay, we should be having more women in this particular specialty because it's this combination of prosecution and litigation where I think you see a lot more women in patent prosecution because it's a little bit more predictable. And so you would think that you would have more women in, in front of the PTAB, but the reality is that uh, there's only one oral argument in front of the PTAB, um, from the PTAB judges, and that often goes to white males. And so I, I was frankly a bit sad that there weren't more uh, women out there um, who were litigating in the PTAB. But just in general, I think that kind of going out there and supporting each other is huge and making sure that you're really helping others to understand what their style is and to be that that person the client chooses to argue uh, in front of the judge and making sure that people can be themselves because I don't think that this profession can really survive without having um, a diverse pool of people because ultimately I I strongly believe that diversity is important to technology, important to making sure that we advance, um, particularly in the legal profession, because there's just so much talent out there that's being wasted. And you can see that, you know, the the profession is struggling to figure out how to be innovative and how to be uh, more inclusive, because you do need that different thought process and different experiences that people have. Yeah, I do believe, you know, diversity is important, you know, not just in the legal profession, but in all professions, right? Especially when you live in countries like the United States and Canada, where there's, you know, 40% of the country is people of color. Yet, you know, you look at the numbers, we'd be lucky if we reach 5% to be considered diverse. Uh, but that can be a whole other conversation. Um, one thing I'm really curious, because I know you are a, you, you made partner at your firm. I mean, what was that like for you? Because, you know, as an Asian female lawyer, making partner is not always something, it's not an easy thing to do, right? And then, you know, when we look at you, you look very young, right? Some, someone might mistake you as the secretary or, you know, you're not the lawyer, um, you know, just kind of sharing about your journey with that. I'm sure a lot of people are curious about that. Well, I'm very curious about it. So yeah, just maybe sharing a little bit about your journey. Yeah, it was always a goal for me to be a partner. And I think I'm I'm one of the few people, at least that I know of, who my goal when I was a freshman in high school was to be a partner at a law firm. And I became a partner at a law firm, right? And uh, it wasn't something I ever questioned my abilities. Um, I always knew I had the ability to become a partner. I always knew that I had the skill set uh, to be a partner at a law firm. And I think what was really disheartening for me was realizing at some point that being an Asian female was what was holding me back, right? Not my skill set, not my knowledge of, of law, not anything I could really control. 
it was the fact that when people saw me, they did. I was, I have been specifically told that I look too young to be a partner, uh, that, uh, folks wouldn't be willing to pay partner billing rates uh, for me because I I did look too young. And frankly, it was pretty shocking, right? I think it it really made me reevaluate how I was going to navigate, you know, this journey and figure out how to make sure that other people didn't have to deal with necessarily the same things that I did or that at least I could help them uh, figure out how to navigate all this craziness. And I think what really helped me was found, finding allies, both folks who are in the Asian American community and outside of the Asian American community. So I had a lot of fantastic mentors who um, really helped me understand both the the skills for being a partner and the business side of being a partner. And I had some amazing clients who really supported me and really believed in me. And one Asian American client in particular, I really, really owe him a lot because I knew he was the one who kind of turned things around for me with respect to partnership because uh, the came, there came a point in time I had I had changed firms right around fifth year, which is kind of where you're kind of making that charge to partnership. And um, folks had that view of me, right? That oh, I'm too quiet. I'm not. I'm too passive. I'm I'm not leadership material. And he really made sure that people understood my business development. Uh, potential that he that you know he was supporting me that he wanted me to be the person in court and so that really changed things for me in terms of how people viewed me it was no longer oh you know she's too quiet she's not a leader to oh clients are asking for her clients are specifically asking for her to argue in court so she you know she must be doing something right and so I I really do owe it to that one Asian American client in particular for turning things around for me. That's such a great story. And it's just, you know, it's a great example that we don't have to do everything ourselves, right? Like you mentioned, you had support uh, within the community and even outside of the community. You had support from your clients who vetted for you saying, you know, you have what it takes to be partnered because sometimes, especially as, you know, Asian, Asian American, Asian we tend to do things ourselves, right? We don't want to ask help from anybody. And that also stems from the model minority myth, right? If we go out there and try to ask for help, people look at us funny, like, well, you're Asian, you're already successful. Why do you need help? Right. And yeah. so you said you, you had a goal and you were going to find a way to do it, right? Even if there was challenges along the way, like you mentioned, people didn't take you seriously because you look very young, right? Or they thought, you weren't bankable, right? They wouldn't, you wouldn't get the billable hours, which is just unfortunate that this still happens today. But, you know, you, you're, you're the example of like, you can make it happen and you just have to work smart too at the same time, right? Working hard is great, but we also have to work smart so we can get those positions like making partner. And, you know, what was that feeling like for you when uh, you did get that announcement? Like now you're partner of our firm. What was that like for you? Uh, is it bad to say I thought finally? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I've 
as I mentioned, I've always felt really confident in my skill set and that I deserve to be partners. So in my mind, it was really a finally like, you know, this was long overdue and making partner and, and going on that journey. You know, I, I am very, I don't know if embarrassed is the right word, but I, I definitely was one of those folks when I was a young associate who thought I'm just going to put my head down, work really hard and somehow, some way people understand uh, my talent and know that I deserve to be partner. And, you know, I, I'm, I was really disappointed in myself in that I actually didn't participate in a lot of affinity groups or, you know, I was not in a pulsa when I was in law school. Um, I, I really didn't go out of my way to help, you know, other, uh, you know, Asian Americans, people of color, women, because I felt like I want you people to view me as a good attorney. I don't want people to think I'm somehow, you know, leveraging some sort of like race card or gender card or anything like that. And it really took that kind of jarring, like, oh, you are being held back merely because you are a woman and a woman of color that made me realize, okay, no, this, there's absolutely nothing I could have done in terms of, you know, working harder, putting my head down in order to get around that. I had to think about things in a thoughtful, smart way in order to make people realize or to basically to overcome those stereotypes. And so having that realization and having other people in the Asian American community really lift me up, made me realize how I really owed it to the community to pay it forward and to help others, right? Who have these disadvantages where, you know, frankly, there's still a lot of people who white males out there who say, you know, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. You should too. Like there's this misunderstanding of the fact that no, nobody gets where they are merely based off of their own skill set that people have advantages and other people had disadvantages. And that is the reason why there are so few people of color, uh, fewer women who are in the partnership because of these disadvantages and trying to make people understand that the traditional measures of merit you know, being aggressive, being confrontational, that doesn't necessarily make you a good lawyer, but certainly disadvantages you if you don't have those traits, right? And so making people understand that there's talent out there, but you have to think more broadly and thoughtfully about how to identify that talent and how to cultivate that talent and to understand that just because somebody doesn't look like you, sound like you, or act like you, that that doesn't mean that they're not a good lawyer. It's not always easy to try and navigate all these things, especially if like you're the first one, you know, to pave that way and what that looks like. And yeah, you know, gone are the days where we just put our head down and work hard because we can work hard and that's all we're known for. We work hard, right? And because 
that's, you know, that's the misconception most people get. You don't get partner. You don't get promotions. You're not seen as a leader. You're just seen as a hard worker. And then unfortunately, sometimes they take that hard work, hard work and take advantage of it. Right. Uh, and sometimes dangle like, you know, I'll make you partner if you do this for me. Right. Uh, kind of like partner track. Right. She realized no matter how much hours she put in in the office, she was never going to make partner. They just literally used her as, you know, to do the stuff they didn't want to do. Um, and it's a hard reality that most people don't realize, right? So it's funny that you mentioned partner track because right about the time when I was supposed to make partner and I was told I had to look too young, uh, I had somehow randomly been at an event where Helen Wan was talking about partner, uh, partner track and I read the book and it just was so distilling of my experience and, yeah. and it was, it, it really affected me a lot because uh, it, it was a way of kind of like vocalizing or basically like that was my experience. Right. And it was something that I, I used to also make me realize that other people were probably experiencing the same thing. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, a lot of female lawyers, especially Asian female lawyers feel that way. Even some who make partners still, you know, it's not, it's still not a walk in the park for them, right? They still have to go through challenges, still have to prove themselves time and time again, just because they're a woman, even more so an Asian woman. And sometimes, you know, Asian Americans aren't even seen as people of color, right? Due to the model minority myth. So we really got to go out there and do things differently. Like you mentioned, in a thoughtful way to be seen, to feel heard, to be taken seriously in higher roles, whether it's in the legal profession or outside of that. So I really love the story that you shared, especially, you know, being partner. I'm sure a lot of people or of our listeners are so excited to kind of just hear what you had to go through. So they know, you know, what kind of the next steps they want to take if partner, if making partner is something that they want to do. But outside, you know, of the legal profession, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> I am definitely one of those believers that you need to take some time out for yourself. Um, outside of work, you know, I have two kids, which obviously also eats up a lot of time and I love spending time with them. Uh, but I do need my own time. So I actually play soccer quite a bit. And so I, I do play on a women's team and a co-ed team. So that's, I think that's the only time where I can really not think about work, which is, um, absolutely amazing. You know, you're just focused on, you know, not getting smacked in the head by the ball or something like that. So it's, uh, it's a good way to relieve stress. I love that. And, you know, it's important to set time aside for yourself, right? Because self-care is important. And this is something that we're not taught about in schools or our families. And especially with a high pressure position that you have, I'm sure you just need even at least five minutes of your time or, you know, an hour to yourself, you can just not think about anything, kind of just mind up and like playing soccer is that for you? Because you're not only a partner at a law firm, you also have two kids and that alone is a full-time job that's very underpaid or not even paid at all. Um, so <laughs> I'm glad that you, you are able to carve out time for yourself because I think that is so important. And, you know, to our listeners, you know, who are in a similar journey as you, uh, you know, they want to go through becoming a patent attorney or they also want to make partner. Uh, what are some words of wisdom or advice that you'd want to give to them? I would say be very self-aware, right? So ultimately, I think that you really have to 
understand yourself and understand how you are going to get to your goals based off of your own skill set and the perceptions of people around you, right? And this might just be the litigator in me speaking, but you always have to uh, basically take into consideration other people's biases, right? And so how do you navigate all of that with that in mind? And it, it reminds me of, I once had an associate who folks really thought of as being unprofessional and needed to be more polished. And, you know, she was asking me for advice because I, I could see where she was coming from. She wasn't, it wasn't that she wasn't, wasn't smart or that she was unpolished. She just loved to have fun. And that was her personality. And that's how she related to clients, to expert witnesses, to fact witnesses. And she asked whether or not she should be more serious. And I basically told her she had two options, right? Because it really is about self-awareness. She could be the more polished version of herself in the environment she was and possibly advance more quickly, or she could be herself and either advance more slowly in where we are because it would take her more time to prove to other people her value or she could find another place that would appreciate her skill set her value her ability to connect to witnesses and she ultimately left and became partner at a different firm and I, I think that that kind of tells you, right? Like you need to make the decision yourself. I personally decided I could, I could figure things out and navigate things the way I wanted to navigate. Uh, but sometimes you have to think about, is it really worth it? Right? Like why should you have to try to conform to your current environment when you find a better, more supportive environment? Right. And so uh, it all kind of goes back to know yourself and know your plan. I love that. I know it's easier said than done to do that sometimes, right? Especially working in corporate, you know, sometimes you feel like you have to show up at, at a certain way. There's certain rules you have to live by or, you know, follow while you're at work. Ultimately too, it's up to you if, you know, if, is this, is this the environment you want to be in, right? Is there something better out there? And I know not everyone has these same choices, of course, because every single person is different, but if you are lucky enough, then you know, life is so short, you know, do something that works for you, right? Versus like, just trying to go, you know, just follow what everyone else is doing. Um, so I like that you mentioned that story, because, um, you know, she was able to find somewhere, someone, another firm where people could accept her for who she is, right? Versus trying to change for the company. And she made partner as well. So which is, you know, just proof, like, whatever you decide, um, as long as it helps you, and you're not hurting anyone, and you're doing, you know, great progress, then go for it. Right. And sometimes making that decision can be the hardest thing in the world. I totally get it. Right. We have to second guess ourselves or we go through imposter syndrome, but if you know what you're capable of, you're just going to go for it. Right. Sometimes you just got to go for it and see what happens. Sometimes you just got to say yes. uh, Even if you're not sure what you're saying yes to, and then everything else falls into place. So thanks for sharing that tip. And if our listeners wanted to connect with you or wanted to work with you, where can they reach out to you? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm always open to talking to folks. As I mentioned, I I really firmly believe in paying it forward. So folks are absolutely welcome to reach out to me um, at my law firm email address, lisa.win at allenovery.com. I'm always happy to chat about basically anything, right? Uh, Given that it is such a, you know, very specific profession where, uh, I think you, you're doing a lot of navigating, right? And, you know, one thing I will say also, um, kind of as advice, I was raised Buddhist. And so I, I feel like maybe I I don't have this constant need to like have it all. And I actually really don't like that expression. And I think a lot of people also say you can have it all, but not at the same time. I don't think that's true at all either. And the reason why I say that is because I want people not to feel alone or isolated. Just because you don't have it all doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. And I think that took me a while to figure out as well, because it always feels like, wow, that person has it all together. How do they have it all together? They don't. (laughs) Like, I think, and I think that's a, an important thing to know that not everybody has it all together, that just because you don't have everything doesn't mean uh, that there's something wrong, that, you know, this is a very intense profession where, you know, you're going to have a lot of lopsidedness, right? Where you're working all the time or when there's, you know, things dry up, you're like, what is wrong with me? Why don't I have any work, Right. And it it can sometimes feel like you're never happy. You're either, you know, um, drowning or in drought, right? And so um, don't feel like you do have to have it all. I've had to miss weddings. I've had to miss birthdays. And, you know, it it sucks, right? But then I've also had times where I've, I've been able to enjoy, you know, long vacations with my family and, you know, just know that it's ultimately what on average, I think you're content with versus like, can you have everything? I think that's something like whenever anybody is like reaching out to me, I I like to make sure that they understand to the best you can get as much information as you can, but don't, don't kick yourself. Don't punish yourself for feeling like you're not able to balance it all. Yeah. Compare syndrome can be so easy. And so we have to just figure out our own path and what that looks like. And so thanks for sharing that. And Lisa, thank you for being a guest at the virtual water cooler chat. It's been such an honor to have you here and thanks again. Really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much. Sheena It's like super privilege. And, uh, you know, thank you to Ashley for um, inviting me to speak. Mm -hmm.